example of a baby boy in a cattle stall outside Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago unleashed a cascade of events that created an eruption. It wasn't the eruption of a volcano, though it was of volcanic proportions. It was a totally different kind of eruption, an eruption of joy. Earlier in our gathering, uh, Peter, Cheryl, and Victoria read part of Luke's account of the angel's words of announcement to the shepherds out in the surrounding fields. The angel said, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Before uh, sonograms made it possible for expectant parents to know whether they would be uh, welcoming a baby boy or baby girl into the world, God decided to get in on the gender reveal party in a supernatural way. Yes, the angels proclaimed their joyous strains of glory to God in the highest on the night when Christ was born. But the shepherds weren't the first ones to hear the news. It's a boy. The announcement had been made nine months earlier to Jesus' mother in another angelic visitation and in a dream to the man who would hold the honor of being Jesus' earthly dad. Matthew records this story, and he writes, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. From that moment forward, Joseph knew he was having a son. He knew it was a special assignment straight from the hand of God. Only God would give a God-fearing Jew like Joseph the responsibility of being a dad to a divinely conceived child. Yes, Mary, she was special. She was chosen. She was highly favored by God for the unique task of carrying the Son of God in her womb. But Joseph was not chosen by God by God wouldn't have selected a deadbeat dad to raise God in the flesh. Joseph was paired with Mary because God knew he had the metal to be who Jesus needed him to be both before and after his arrival. His heart must have skipped a beat when the angel declared that his son should be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. His mind surely raced even faster as he played over and over in his mind the angel's words that the child within Mary was divinely conceived. Once Joseph had his supernatural angelic encounter through his dream, his mind likely pondered many things about the future. You know, a lot goes through a man's mind when he finds out he's having a son. 
Many men today might let their minds wonder about things like, will he look like me? Will he sound like me when he talks and laughs? Will he like to fish and enjoy the outdoors like me? Will he be a lefty or a righty? I wonder if he'll ride cars. What kind of car will be his favorite? Will he want to work on the car together with me? I can hardly wait to meet him and hold him and, oh my goodness, am I ready for all this? Perhaps Joseph had some of these same thoughts after the gender reveal journey. Up through the moment when he and Mary made their 90-mile trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. There, there was a lot to think about during those days leading to Jesus' birth. And there were lots of elements to take in and think about when those awestruck shepherds showed up at the stable, sharing of their angelic encounter and the announcement of the good news of great joy about a Savior. There was joy and wonder at what the shepherds saw once they walked into the actual live nativity scene. Certainly joy must have filled the young mother holding God in her arms when the shepherds arrived and told of all that they had experienced and been told by the angel. Luke tells us that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. As Mary marinated in the moment near the manger, the juices of joy surely surrounded her soul. Everything she had been told had come true. Now it was being confirmed by a second source, footnoted again by angelic messengers to these smelly shepherds. A lot was unfolding in the little town of Bethlehem that night. But for everything that is plainly seen from the text, perhaps, just perhaps, there's something else we need to give attention to that is more subtle, yet present, even as Mary is treasuring and pondering all these things in her heart. It's good to remain inquisitive as we read the Bible and seek to listen to the story unfold with fresh ears. As we attempt to do that this Christmas, perhaps we should ask the question, what about Joseph? What was Joseph thinking about? What was Joseph treasuring and pondering in his heart? Well, a wise person once said, where the Bible is silent, don't put words in its mouth, but it's certainly okay to wonder what it might be trying to tell us simply by staying curious. You know me, I like to ask questions. Well, it's not unreasonable to believe that Joseph, a new dad, blessed by God with the awesome responsibility of welcoming and raising a firstborn son conceived by the Holy Spirit, had some incredible thoughts that were also saturated with joy. While Luke overtly shares how Mary was treasuring and pondering all that the shepherd shared on that first Christmas night, perhaps a subtle clue from verse 21 ties back to what Joseph was thinking about. Yes, he was likely basking in the fullness of the first moments of meeting Jesus face to face. However, he may have also allowed his mind to shift forward to what would take place in just eight days. Notice what Luke records just after the shepherds go on their way in verse 20. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, 
the name given by the angel before she was conceived in the womb. From the moment Joseph found out that he was going to be a dad to his son, thoughts of eight days after the birth probably started forming in his mind. Almost all Jewish men in Joseph's day would know the significance and the great joy that comes with seeing one's son, especially one's firstborn son, officially included in the covenant relationship with God. The joy of Joseph would have been overwhelming as he treasured and pondered the ancient Jewish tradition known as Brit Gilat, or circumcision, in which eight days later he would have the honor and privilege of leaving his new little family. The ancient and sacred custom of circumcision traces back thousands of years to the father of the Jewish nation. In Genesis 17, we learn that the mark of circumcision would be the identifying way that Abraham and his Jewish offspring throughout the generations would be set apart for God. The significance of circumcision happening on the eighth day of new life is symbolic of the life cycle of creation. God worked six days creating the cosmos and humankind. On the seventh day, God rested. The eighth day started a new cycle of a new week of new life set apart for the, for the enjoyment and the glory of God. Every Jewish son since Abraham came to understand the significance of what happened eight days after their birth. While they were obviously too young to remember the moment, their fathers and families certainly never forgot the moment their son welcomed into to the covenant or was welcomed into the covenant that God had ordained with all of Israel throughout all generations. Joseph bore the mark of the covenant just as his father did and his father before him on down the lineage of history that traced back to Abraham himself. While a brief cry of pain filled the air from the lips and the lungs of the baby boy, joy filled the heart and soul of the father. Gladness abounded as he participated in seeing his son enter into a promise of being one of God's people through circumcision. The first time that Jesus would weep and cry out in pain, he was looking into the eyes of his earthly father as he was welcomed into the covenant of God's people. The final time Jesus would bleed and cry out would be 33 years later. Upon a Roman cross, Jesus would shed his blood. He would cry out for the last time while looking up toward the eyes of his heavenly father as he made a way for all people to enter into a covenant with God throughout eternity. During the ceremony, it's likely that Joseph was the one holding the baby and looking into the face of the son that the angel told him to name Jesus, meaning God saves. Matthew's birth narrative records that Joseph did just that. Now it was Joseph's joy to call his son's name Jesus during the circumcision ceremony. Just as Joseph experienced joy over God's gift the very first Christmas, so God desires that you and I experience joy this Christmas 
and for the rest of our earthly journeys, in fact, to experience joy for all eternity. Remember earlier in the fall, we said that our purpose is what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You say, Kent, do I really need Jesus to experience joy? Come on now. Can't non-believers experience happiness? Good question. I mean, I like questions. Well, before we tackle that question, let me add something here related to the words joy and happiness. It's become common in modern times for Christians to treat the words happiness and joy as two different realities. Joy is often touted as an unemotional, transcendent experience unconnected with earthly circumstances, while happiness is explained to be a bubbly, superficial, circumstantial feeling that comes and goes. There's only one problem with that. The Bible doesn't support these designations. The Bible uses both words, joy and happiness, interchangeably and indiscriminately. Let me give you a couple of examples here quickly. Esther 8.6 says, For the Jews it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. Jeremiah 31.13 says, I will turn their mourning into joy and bring happiness out of grief. Now, we could cite numerous other examples where the Bible uses joy and happiness interchangeably. And if, if any of you are really interested and you want to uh, take up this conversation some more, if you'll email me, I can send you some more scriptures and a couple of interesting articles on the fact. But for right now, the important thing is because the Bible doesn't distinguish between joy and happiness, we're not going to either. Now, one, now that we've established that, let's go back to my earlier question. Do I really need Jesus to experience joy? Do you need Jesus to experience joy? The correct answer is no. And the correct answer is yes. Now hang in there with me and listen carefully. You don't need Jesus to experience joy. Non-believers can experience happiness, and they do. In Paul's message to, get this, unbelievers in Lystra in Acts 14, 17, the apostle says, He, God, did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Some translations use the word gladness. Other translations use the word happiness. And you know what? They're all three correct. Because of God's goodness extended to all of humanity, all people can experience joy. Here, Paul is making the point that God is the source of all joy and happiness and that all people can experience it because of God's common grace to everyone on planet Earth. Think about this. An atheist can experience the joy that arises from beholding a stunning sunrise or the happiness derived from engaging in a job that makes a positive difference in our world. An agnostic can experience the majesty and grandeur of snow-covered mountains like they are, like the Rockies are today. An agnostic can experience the joy afforded by emotional and 
physical intimacy with a child. Or the exhilaration of reading a good spy novel. A skeptic can experience the happiness of a Christmas gathering with loved ones or the joy of laughter upon hearing a good joke. Why? Because the atheist, the agnostic, and the skeptic, just like the believer, are made in the image of God with the capacity to experience joy and happiness. Emphasizing this point is uh, author David Murray. Murray discusses six different kinds of happiness. He calls them nature happiness, we like to turn around, social happiness, happiness that's derived through relationships and social interaction, vocational happiness, enjoying various aspects of our employment, our, our jobs, our occupations, physical happiness, which has all kinds of uh, ramifications, intellectual happiness, and the last one he says is humor happiness. I like that one. These six types of happiness or joy can all be experienced both by the Christian and the non-believer. But David doesn't stop there. He goes on to describe a seventh type of happiness. He calls this spiritual happiness. David says that spiritual happiness at times contains more pleasure and delight than the other six kinds of happiness all rolled, in, all rolled up together. Well, when does spiritual happiness, when does spiritual joy become a reality in our lives? We experience spiritual happiness when our sins are forgiven, when we are made right with God, and when we are reconciled to Him. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also tells us that the wages of sin is death, separation from God, both now and for eternity. This means that the answer to the question, do I need Jesus to experience joy, is also yes. The reality is that sin has cut us off from the experience of spiritual happiness, from the most profound kind of joy humans can know, from the happiness that God created you and me, <coughs> excuse me, to experience when He made us. No matter how powerful the experiences we have of nature, social, vocational, physical, intellectual, and humor happiness, none of these types can ever fully satisfy the deepest cravings within us. In essence, these kinds of happiness are all secondary to spiritual happiness. God created, created us to continually experience spiritual happiness, but sin has cut off the flow of spiritual happiness from God to us. Well, how can you experience spiritual happiness. First thing you've got to do, you've got to choose to admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has cut you off from the spiritual happiness that God designed for you to have. Secondly, you must turn from your sin and turn toward God. The Bible calls us to repentance. We do this when 
we give God control of our heart and life. When we say, God, you're going to be the boss now. I'm going to let you call the shots. Third, you must believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of death for your sins. And that he rose from the dead three days later to prove he can give you eternal life. And you must choose to personally receive God's gift of of forgiveness and life that he offers to you. It's not enough just to, to believe it in your head. You have to personally choose to receive it just as you receive a Christmas gift as many of us will be doing. Most of us will be doing over the next few days. Well, what happens if you choose to take this step of faith and receive the gift of forgiveness and life that God offers you? The Bible says that God will come and reside within you in the person of His Holy Spirit and that an inexpressible happiness will take over in your life. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, speaking of Jesus, He gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in His name. Now, this doesn't mean that you will never face another problem. Both Christ followers and agnostics live in a broken world. We share it together. We both suffer the effects, the trauma, the pain that is common to all those who live on planet earth. But for those who have received Jesus by faith, you can now know an unspeakable joy in being in relationship with God. This happiness can enable you to walk through the deepest, darkest pain and sorrow that the world can dish up for you. Why? Because the hopes and fears of all the years are met in a baby who was born in a little town of Bethlehem. Peter describes this spiritual happiness. He says it like this. Though you have seen him, you love him. Sorry, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The psalmist says, how happy he is whose wrongdoing is forgiven and whose sin is covered. How happy is the man whose sin the Lord does not hold against him. If you choose to believe in Jesus and give him control of your life, you can experience the most profound and lasting kind of happiness, spiritual happiness. It's the same joy that Jesus experienced and experiences. In fact, in John 15, 11, Jesus said to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. In John 17, we hear Jesus praying to God, the Father. He says, Father, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they, my disciples, my friends, may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
the joy and happiness you will experience if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is his joy. It's Jesus' joy. The joy he experiences, he gives to you and me if we choose to receive and follow him. Have you experienced the good news of great joy that was delivered by the angel to the shepherds? Like Joseph, are you filled with joy because of the gift of God's son? Have you discovered spiritual happiness? The most complete, comprehensive, and unending happiness known to humankind? Have you experienced the inexpressible joy that Peter declared to be the experience of those who choose to place their faith and trust in Christ Jesus? If not, you can today. At the close of our service, in just a few few minutes, our prayer teams will be here at the front on either side to talk with and to pray for you. They can help you to better understand how you can receive God's gift of forgiveness, life, and joy. Don't fail. Don't fail. Don't fail to receive, open, and cherish the gift of joy that God offers you this Christmas. It's an inexpressible joy that will satisfy fully your craving for happiness and that will last for all eternity. Would you pray with me?